the mules are in the corral. Welcome to Mule Talk, and I'm Cindy K. Roberts, your host. On this week's segment of Mule Talk, we're going to be talking with a guy that pulled up stakes in central Iowa and moved to Nebraska to become a cowboy once again. We're going to be talking with Jim Stotts, the cowboy. I'm sorry, but I'm really having a good time with this. When you called me a couple of months ago and you said, hey, I'm just going to pull up stakes and I'm moving to Nebraska to be a cowboy. I was just so happy for you. So tell me, what what line of work did you do before this ranching work? Uh, I had multiple careers. Uh, I went through college uh, with at Iowa State, got a uh, bachelor's in animal science there. And then I ended up going to University of Nebraska in Lincoln and in my master's degree. And I actually had a, the opportunity there to work in the same county that I'm in out here now in Cherry County. We actually had, uh, through the university, I had over 400 cows to work with on breed projects at Whitman, Nebraska. And so 36 years later, I've come full circle and have returned to the sand hills of Nebraska, uh, which is actually kind of in the back of my head, been a long-term dream uh, to get done. But straight out of graduate school, I was a pharmaceutical rep on the veterinary side for uh, 12 years in the Dakota Territory. And then I ranched for 10 years, had my own registered herd of cattle that I put together and ranched for 10 years in, in western South Dakota. Then I was in strictly leasing my grass. Uh, leases are tough, as anybody will tell you. I got tired of the leasing deal and could not afford to buy ground, so I hung that up. And then the last 10 years, I worked for the uh, federal government in a job that uh, I just didn't care for. Wow. Uh, never did uh, really like, so I decided to shift gears. I'm 59 years old and uh, go back to what doing what I enjoy day in and day out. Well, good. So you've had some background with ranching, so this isn't totally new to you. No. Okay, well, good. What's the difference between then and now? I mean, you were younger then when you were doing the ranching, and now you're older. Yeah, right, right. And I found that uh, at the end of the day, I'm definitely, uh, I'm laughing at myself. I'm uh, more tired than what I was years ago. But when you're out in the elements, in the cold, the wind blows here a lot, as it did up in uh, South Dakota. It just wears you down. And at night, I don't have a ton of energy. I uh, cook some supper, shower up, and it's basically, it's about the end of my day. I I don't sit around and I don't even have television out here, believe it or not. Uh, no laptop anymore, no computer, no email. I'm loving it. Oh, that's neat. That is great. So you stocked up on the long underwear, right, Jim? You, you brought your mule with you, right? Yeah, I've actually got a pair of mules. I've got a... Uh, 12-year-old mule that I've had for just a couple years, the first mule that I ever bought. I was uh, running hounds with her uh, back in central Iowa, and I even bear hunted off of her uh, solo by myself a couple of different trips. I bear hunted off of that mule as well, uh, just north of uh, Yellowstone National Park up in the Absaroka Range up there. And then um, I've got a mule that I bought as a yearling. 
that's just going to turn three here the end of April that I've been working on uh, extensively down in Iowa. Finally got in the middle of him, mounted on him in the round corral in the middle of November. Looking forward to helping him along and developing him during calving here. He's going to end up getting quite a few miles as well. And then I will also have two other horses that my uh, cow boss owns that will be in my string as well. And I'll just be rotating them on a daily, you know, base, uh, rotating through them depending on the weather and what's going on as to who I'm riding. I was intrigued when you were talking about the bear hunting um, with your mule. What kind of firearm did you carry when you were out bear hunting? We was the area where I was in uh, on the one trip. I had a uh, lever action 4570 on a scouting trip. And then when I actually went out there for the actual hunt, I actually did end up carrying a uh, 375 H&H bolt-action rifle. And the the reason for the bigger caliber, black bears aren't that tough of a, uh, of a character to warrant actually either one of those cartridges for the most part, but that is a high uh, level of uh, grizzly bears in that area. And my biggest concern with that is, is problems with grizzly between me and my mule. And if I get a black bear shot, the bears have actually gotten to the point out west where if they hear gunfire, it's like a dinner bell for them. That's been proven with GPS and telemetry tracking, uh, tracking and whatnot by the fish and wildlife type of people. And uh, you got to be careful. And I did, uh, I did not see a grizzly on either one of those trips, but I did see a track and uh, it was quite impressive. I bet quite it was. Impressive. Huge. Yeah, yeah, it was huge. Absolutely huge. So, but I, I prefer the mules. As far as their sensibility in that type of terrain and in awkward situations, I lived on quarter horses for years, and I still have a soft spot for a good solid quarter horse. I can tell you, in awkward terrain and in marginal situations, a mule tends to be what I call more analytical. They'll think about stuff. They won't blow up. And the other thing that I really appreciate about them is if you happen to hit a quick spot in the wintertime, get on some ice and whatnot, they won't backpedal like a horse can and will do and shuffle, do that shuffle thing, backpedal and panicking. They'll simply, on a downhill deal, they'll simply squat down. And it feels like your mule's butt is virtually dragging the ground. And I think that you can see it from the side, it virtually is. But they just slide. They don't get excited. They get to the bottom of the hill. They stand back up and just walk off. They don't get mad and stay mad for a half a day. And that's one of many things that I appreciate about a mule uh, versus a horse, quarter horse. I don't have any experience with anything other than quarter horses and mules, and that's it. Mules definitely have their place. Oh, yeah. I'm so glad to hear you say that um, because I, I do have high regard for the quarter horse type mule. That's true what you're saying about them coming downhill and if it gets slick. Yeah, they will. They'll just tuck under and they'll just go down the hill. Uh, let's talk about the cows because you're managing a herd. How many cows do you look after? We're going to be calving about 850 females this spring, about 150 
first half heifers and then the balancer are out. Basically mature cows, aged cows. Stabbing, we've got them split into four different pastures. Pasture size will vary quite a bit. Uh, two-year-olds will be in a smaller pasture. I can't even tell you for sure how small on them yet, but I've got uh, two groups here close to my house. One group B in about a thousand acre pasture and the other one I think will be in maybe close to two thousand acres that I'll have to ride on a daily basis. Okay. And in this terrain in the sand hills, if not all of it is wide open, you can just look out there and see a cow off in the corner by herself. Some of this stuff has is rolling sand dunes. And you've really got to do a lot of writing in order to see all the little pockets and little holes where they can get down into it in the sand to calves. And it takes uh, takes quite a bit of writing to get that covered in a, what would you say, appropriate manner to find. Because basically, we don't even tag the calves at birth, which was a plus with me because I used to have to take birth weight and take calves both uh, in my thoroughbred herd that I had. And some cows can get pretty snorty at uh, birth, and I didn't want to have to deal with that anymore because I don't move as quick as I did. I'm still faster than most people, thank goodness. But the bottom line is we don't even tag our calves. Basically, we just ride and look for cows that are possibly, you know, have a foot back, a head back, a backwards calf, you know, and then bring them in. And it may be, uh, you know, a mile and a half, two miles, two mile ride to uh, bring them in. But uh, that's what we do. Wow. Okay. So, so, Jim, do you do this by horseback or muleback? Yeah, uh, both. I'm going to, in my string, I'm going to be utilizing both just because I don't have enough mules here to get it all done. And my young mule in particular, actually, his mother uh, is uh, from a very prominent equine quarter horse breeder in the Sand Hills, and I'm really looking forward to getting him going because I honestly, I'm very optimistic that he will be super cow. Yeah. Really level headed. Yeah. Really, really super level headed. So, and I rode him the other day for the first time since I've been here, and not in the round crowd. First time I took him out. I rode him about two and a half miles. All he did was he did curl hop with me the first when I first got on, and he curl hopped about three times, and that was it. And that was the end of that. But uh, we should be fine. But we take on young animals in this type of work, be it a horse or a mule, either one, and we get what I call a lot city of the nonsense out of them just by fatigue. And we don't ride them in the dirt. Don't get me wrong. That's why we rotate them. But fatigue and just plain miles, the old thing of wet saddle blankets really helps on any animal's attitude. Uh, it just makes them a better animal. And most animals don't get enough riding, period. That's uh, right. The horses and mules, either one. They just don't get the miles. And I've been fortunate. My first mule that I bought here probably three years ago, two years ago, I can't even remember. I put 750 miles on her in the first five months I had her. When I got done with that first five months, she was on a whole lot better than she was when I bought her. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. But, but she'll be better yet when I get done with this cabbage season. She'll even be better yet as far as coming around on a few things. 
So it's um, it's a good opportunity to truly utilize mules and horses and get them out and do with them because they. I'm convinced, Cindy, that they want a job. They want to have something to do, and they enjoy it. They 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 truly get into it. When I was ranching on my own. I had three quarter horses, and they were kind of old foundation and cutting bread type. And I'll tell you, they got into it. They enjoyed their work, and and I don't expect anything different here. You know, I think my mules are going to enjoy it too. Oh, that's so. great! And you're right; they do like having a job. They have to have a purpose, or they're just bored to death about things. Yeah. So with all this work and everything, when you get to this, like, put your boots up, you know, and you're sitting back, I mean, you have no TV, no internet, nothing like that. I mean, do you like to read? I mean, how do you relax? Yeah, I read. Yeah, I'm an avid reader. I get uh, my two equine magazines that I get are Western Mule and then Mules and More. And then I buy books. Maybe I've got two or three of your books. I also do uh, have DVDs as well. Um, The thing that really helped me was my young mule, and I would uh, endorse this in Brad Cameron. I think it's six, six or eight DVDs that he put together. For Brad Cameron out of Montana. Yeah, uh, he's good. Mule trainer like yourself. And I'm going to tell you, I followed that with that young mule that I've got here that's going to turn three. The thing I appreciated about his DVDs was he showed mules blowing up from, say, like twirling the rope around their feet or, you know, saddling them up. I mean, coming undone. Wow. He didn't just take a well-broken animal and do demonstrations. And the cool part is, my young mule that I've got is so level-headed, he never blew on anything at all. Him crow hopping the other day was the first naughty thing he's honestly ever done with. And I don't consider that bad. He was just excited to be out and see some new country. That was no big deal. Right. So, but but that really helped me along with him a lot. Well, good. So you get to read and you do have, uh, you know, so you get to relax in that way. I guess, is the air dry up there or, I mean, what kind of weather do you have? Okay. Most uh, average uh, uh, moisture here is only 17 inches. Uh, mm-hmm. In the area that I'm in now, uh, ironically, last year in this area on this ranch, there was this area had 53 inches of rain, and 70% of our hay ground is underwater. What would normally be considered what we call sub-irrigated, which is uh, simply nature's way of the water table coming up in the spring of the year, and then usually about the fourth of July, you start to hay, and the water. Receive those those areas that we hay, be it a quarter section, half section, what have you, are all basically underwater. So our hay production here will be uh, probably uh, about twenty five percent, roughly, of what it would normally be, and we have no way to get rid of that water. So it's kind of a almost a permanent change here from an ecological standpoint. I guess the muskrats and the Ducks and geese and the trumpeters' corns and everything will do better, but it sure doesn't help the ranchers out any. Wow. Serious problem. I know you've got coyotes, so, I mean, aren't they a threat to to the calves? Uh, They potentially can be. 
the thing that draws the coyotes in in any situation, and it's funny that you say that because uh, ask that question because the neighbor just to the north of me here started calving uh, about two weeks ago. I was seeing one or two, maybe three coyotes every day up until about the last week, 10 days. We'll see what's happened is he is calving. And as you lose calves, calves die, unfortunately. You lose a few. They eat them. And the other thing that a lot of people don't realize is, is the placenta as well after the cow calves. The coyotes love, just like a dog, a coyote is a dog, likes to eat those placentas. And anyway, I finally saw one coyote today when I was out fencing in one of the pastures that I'm going to uh, calve in. And that's the first coyote I've probably seen in about a week, which is really odd. But I'm sure the coyotes have drifted to the north of me here where all the placenta uh, availability has gone through the roof. They're not stupid. And see, if they communicate with one another verbally, and they know where one another is, where their location of uh, other pack members and whatnot and fellow coyotes. And they tend to group together, but usually, usually they're not a big problem. Not, not generally. Huh, I didn't know that. So they they chatter back and forth, and they know where the different packs are. Yeah, because see, they they howl they howl at each other. They communicate verbally. Okay. Well, Jim, I know it's uh, getting close for you to retire for the evening because you've done a whole day's work. But I do want to get back together with you because I want to keep updates on what you're doing in the ranching world. I want to thank you for being on because, and I do look forward to having you on again. Okay. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or a sponsor, send me an email, Cindy, C-I-N-D-Y, at everycowgirlsdream.com. Gotta go. My mule is looking for me. 